Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Dan Whitney had a pretty good comedy career, including a TV appearance on A&E's An Evening at the Improv. But Whitney's career as Larry the Cable Guy has been far more lucrative and longer-lasting, going on some three decades since he first started calling into radio stations as a character who still says, Get her done! Larry became the breakout star from the Blue Collar Comedy Tour and its subsequent TV series, becoming a top Billboard comedy artist and touring act of the mid-2000s. He got his own Comedy Central roast in 2009, he hosted three Christmas specials for VH1 and CMT. He starred in four movies as Larry. He voiced a tow truck in the two animated hit Cars movies for Disney Pixar. And he's hosted a History Channel show for three seasons. He continues to co-host a Sirius XM comedy channel on satellite radio with his comedy pal Jeff Foxworthy. And they put out a joint Netflix special together. He and his wife also have run the nonprofit Get Her Done Foundation since 2009 to benefit children's and veterans' causes. Dan sat down with me from his kitchen in Nebraska to talk over Zoom about all of that and more, including his newest solo stand-up special, Remain Seated. So let's get to it! Larry, I, I've read an interview where you mentioned your buddy is Tom Ryan. He lives, he lives a couple blocks away from me here in Astoria. <laughs> really? Yeah, every once in a while. Every once in a while, I'll see him on the streets. Tom is one of my all-time best buddies. Tom and I, when we, uh, I did an open mic night in 1985, and Tom was at that (laughs) at the time. And then the Comedy Corner opened up in West Palm Beach, just, Mm -hmm. you know, same area, opened up in June. And I wanted to go check it out because I was, I wanted to do comedy. I got hooked at that open mic night. <laughs> and I went walking in there and I go, hey, there's that guy from, uh, it was Tom working the door. He had got a job working the door. And I go, hey, and he goes, hey, what's going on? And I go, what are you doing? I just, and he told me he got a job there. So I met Tom that night working the door. And Tom Ryan and I have been friends. Ever since June of 1986, when at Comedy Club, we spent probably every night of our lives for uh, two and a half years at that comedy club, driving down to Miami to do shows, driving down to Fort Lauderdale to do shows. I mean, funny thing about Tom Ryan is he never throws away a phone number. So Tom Ryan has the phone number of probably 9,000 comedians and he still gets phone calls from guys that he's known 25, 30 years ago, starting out in, in Florida. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Now, he's, now, you know, he and I are both, you know, self-isolating in the epicenter. You, uh, you know, this was going to be a, a, an even bigger week for you with your first solo special in a decade out. And you had gigs lined up and now you're, you're all hunkered down. Yeah, I'm all hunkered now. You know what, though? We don't have it is we don't have a lot of cases here in Nebraska, so we're still free to roam around, and they just want us to separate, make sure we're not groups of 10. So, you know, we're, we're in this state, I think Iowa, you know, 
we're still able to roll around. I'm I'm very fortunate. You know, I live outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, so i got 180 acres surrounding me, so I can get out and do all that kind of stuff. I always say everybody makes – I used to say everybody makes fun of rednecks until their car breaks down, and now I'm changing it to everybody makes fun of rednecks until a pandemic comes through. <laughs> well, you know, before we get too far into this, I have to say, you know, this is something that liberals get mocked a lot for, but I have to ask you before we keep going, what should I call you? What, what, is, your, what, is, your preferred, what is your preferred pronoun, proper noun? Yeah, no, Dan's good. Dan's my real name. I mean, right. look at the character that I created, obviously, and that's right. what I as I mean, I don't know. Did people ever ask Rodney Dangerfield uh, what you want to be called? I mean, that's not his name. Everybody still thinks that's his name. I'm sure Rodney didn't walk around the house going, yeah, give me a drink of water. What are we having for dinner? You right. Know? I think with, with Pee Wee Herman, it might be a little different because he's not walking around in costume. I don't know. Right. No, to- he's not. But, uh, you know, probably Rodney. And I'm trying to think who else it would be. Uh, Scott Thompson, Carrot Top. Yeah, Carrot Top. Yeah, Carrot Top still has the yeah, but he's not doing a character on stage though. He he has the name Carrot Top because that's his nickname from when he was a kid. So he's not even doing. Uh, I don't think he even does that. Yeah, um, I'm glad you're 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 mentioning these like these Florida guys because uh, I love talking to comedians who came out of that that scene in the '80s. It's Everybody talks about the New York scene or the Boston scene or even maybe San Francisco or the outlaws in Texas. But there were so many comedians in your, in your group that came out of Florida. There was a lot of great comedians that came out of Florida. As a matter of fact, I always tell a story about uh, the West Palm Beach clique. You know, we used to go up to Orlando at a bonkers at Joe Sanfilippo room and we would hang out with the Orlando clique of guys. So one night, we all had second jobs. We're open mic and trying to become middle acts, you know. Uh, but we all had second jobs. But I remember one night, we all went up to Orlando. We used to go up there all the time, so we made friends with those guys. So after a show one night, we all went to Denny's. And Jim Brewer, will, will he'll back up this story because he was there. But so we all go to Denny's. The only comedian that was working at the time was Tom Rhodes. Yeah, and, out of Orlando, yeah. yeah. He was the guy. We're like, man, Tom Rhodes, he's so awesome. And he was good, man. He came out of Orlando. So we're all sitting around a table. and At that table that night was him, a guy named Chris Baker, who's a syndicated radio talk show host now, Tom Ryan, me, Carrot Top, um, uh, 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 Billy Gardell, uh, Jim Brewer, and uh, oh, what's uh, the guy that did impressions forever on Daryl Hammond? Oh yeah, yeah. We were all at that table that night. Nobody was famous. We're all doing second jobs, just writing jokes, telling stories, and it was uh, man. We look back on those times. It was pretty awesome. Now back at that Denny's, who was the funniest guy at the table? 
You know what? We were all throwing out funny jokes. I mean, Billy Gardell's hilarious. Jimmy Brewer. Everybody was kind of doing the same kind of stuff. I guess probably the most reserved one was Daryl Hannah. You know, right. everybody was just kind of, you know, because Brewer's got his personality. Gardell had a certain personality. And Tom Rhodes, he was the guy because he was the guy not on the road. So we all, when he talked, we all listened to Tommy. Um, uh, it was just, man, those were just some fun days. I look back on those early comedy days and, and smile. Sure did learn a lot, too. Does it, what amazes you more, like 30 years later, after calling into the Ron and Ron show, that not only would you still be doing Larry the Cable Guy, but that you'd also be doing a radio show on the same platform as one of the Rons? Yeah, you know what? That was that was crazy. Ron Bennington and I were really good friends, and he had me call his show because he said they needed characters, and so I did a couple characters on the show, and the Larry the Cable Guy one just really hit. And uh, yeah, that's man, that is so uh, that's it's yeah, it's just it's crazy how life works, you know. And, and all those years go by, and then we end up on satellite radio, different roles, and. Yeah, those times on Ron and Ron. That show, that could have probably been the biggest radio morning show in the history of morning shows if they wouldn't have broke up. I mean, I've never seen anything that big. I mean, that was even, I mean, in four, I mean, you could say that was, that was very, very uh, Howard Sterny. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they even, even took numbers better than his. I mean, when you're doing a live remote in Daytona Beach, <laughs> and it's just part of their syndication. They weren't even there. They were broadcasting out of Tampa. And you could hear them in Daytona. So they said they were going to do a live broadcast in Daytona Beach at 6 o'clock in the morning and have a band. 10,000 people showed up. That's a pretty good stretch of a morning show. Yeah. <laughs> Well, then again, you did get, what, 80000 to show up at uh, Cornhusker Stadium one time? Uh, uh, 53295 <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you not letting me overhype it too much. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I told my manager, though, I said, please, that was fun. Let's never do it again because I was so, I mean, that's just nerve-wracking right there. And I thought he was being a little, I thought it was kind of dumb. He said, we're going to do this football stadium in Lincoln. I said, you know what, come on. You know, I mean, I get we've been doing big numbers. We're doing 10,000, 11,000 on the road I, in arenas. I get I ain't going to do no stadium. Are you nuts? Well, let's try it. All right, we'll try it. <laughs> so I remember my friend in the ticket booth called me and says, hey, Dan, have you seen your your ticket sales for the show? I said, oh, no, don't tell me. Is it tanking? She goes, tanking? We just started taking calls two hours ago. You're up to 32,000. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> insane. And they added, they weren't expecting even that. They had to open up more sections to the stadium. So it was, it was really, Oh, man. I mean, it's one of the coolest things you've ever done. I mean, there's only two stand-up comedians in the United States that can say they worked, uh, did a night at a football stadium, and that's uh, me and... Uh, Kevin uh, Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
So, I mean, just that's just those memories that you can always hang your head on. Those those are just really fun. So, and I'm happy that when Kevin did it, man, I, I wish I had his number so I could call him and tell him what to expect and and how sick you're gonna get. <laughs> but I you didn't should, have his. You should ask Tom Ryan for it. Yeah, yeah, you know what I should. Everybody's number. <laughs> Uh, the last, the last time I got to talk to you, uh, we didn't have this zoom technology. So we just talked over the phone, but, and it was way back in 2013. And, uh, I asked you a lot of questions about, uh, how much merchandise you have out there. Is there still a lot of Larry, the cable guy merchandise out there or have you scaled back on that? Yeah, I've scaled back on that because I only do about 30 shows a year. You know, mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time concentrating on my kids. My kids are getting older. I don't want to miss them growing up, you know, so. So I only do about 30 dates. I used to, it doesn't really make sense for 30 dates. You know, I still have merchandise for my foundation. Okay. So I do do the foods and you know, some knives and some, uh, you know, uh, barbecue stuff and some bloody Larry mix. And uh, I think I have hats. I do do hats. People like my hats. So I think I got some Peter Dunn hats at uh, Cabela's Bass Pro Shops. Um, but I pretty much knocked off the merchandise. It's not worth it because um, I don't do enough shows to get a huge company to do it for anymore. Because I used to, you know, I did, you know, 280 shows a year. So you had a company to ship stuff off. And so, I mean, it's after you ship it, after you pay somebody to sell it, after you give the people their 35% cut. You know, you spent $50,000 on T-shirts, and after all is said and done and the hassle of getting them ordered, getting them out, getting them sold, you profit, you know, $3,800. It's like uh, that really wasn't even worth it. So kind of quit doing it. Um, Although I I would bet during this uh, quarantine you might be able to sell a lot more food. Yeah, you know what, somebody (laughs) – I got a funny story – Somebody, I retweeted it because it was so – I retweeted and I commented on it. It was a store and all the shelves were empty except for two boxes of Larry the Cable Guy corn mix. <laughs> so I took the picture off of there and I sent it out and I said, you know – when your food is the only thing left on the shelves during a pandemic, it's time to retool. <laughs> I love that. I love, you know, mentioning like only doing say 30 shows a year versus 280. That means you have to find ways to stay sharp. And I read that you, uh, you will drop in at the funny bone. Yeah. I like, yeah, I do. I like to go up to the Funny Bone and, and do stuff. You know how I really stay in shape is I grab a cigar mm-hmm. and I go outside and I walk up and down my driveway and I go over my act and I throw stuff in that I want to throw in that I think will work and I go over it when I would have normally have a show. So generally, for a, however long it takes, generally, I'll pop a cigar in and I'll go outside and uh, on Friday night and Saturday night, and I'll go over my act. 
And so I've always got it fresh in my head and I'll throw in if something pops into my head and I think it's funny, then I'll write it down, go to my computer, add that, color code it so I know it's brand new. Uh, but I do go up to the Funny Bone on occasions. Um, but I like, when I go up there, though, I don't want to just do five minutes or seven minutes. You know, I got to drive 50 minutes to get there. So uh, generally what I'll do is I'll call Colleen, who's a dear friend of mine, and I'll have her give me a night, and uh, we'll sell tickets for charity. We'll pick a charity. We'll sell tickets for charity. I'm telling them, hey, I'm working on brand new stuff. Come up and see me because I don't perform a lot up there. So okay. whenever I perform up there, you know I can you know I can sell out. I can sell the show out in twenty minutes. So uh, I'll just announce that hey, we're doing a charity for blah 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 blah. Come on up. I'm doing brand new material. Come on up and see it. Uh, and that's what I'll do. Take an hour and have somebody come up, pay somebody to open for me, and I'll just go up and I'll mess with the crowd and I'll pull my papers out. like I'll take like the notes and I'll go, all right, I got some new stuff. You want to hear some new stuff? Well, let's see. Uh, I went up to the store yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, just, yeah. And that's pretty much how I work out my stuff. I just I just find it fascinating because, you know, in New York and L.A., it's it's both thrilling for civilians to see a famous stand-up comedian, but also it's kind of uh, cliche or blasé because there's so many, so many of the famous comedians already live in New York or in, in LA, but in Nebraska, it must be a bigger deal to just be at the funny bone. And here's Larry, the cable guy. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You know what? Yeah. Cause it's just the regular crews that come through and the regular touring guys that come through, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they don't get a lot of pop-ins. But I will say, when guys come in and play the Orpheum, they love the Funny Bones. So, like, it's not rare for if they're here, they'll do it in Omaha, you know. Like, Dennis Regan just popped in the comedy with all Funny Bone one night. And, and uh, like, Ron White popped in there one night. So they do get some pretty good pop-ins. It just depends on who's working up there at any given time. Okay. Uh you mentioned Rodney Dangerfield. I don't know. In my review of your new special, Rodney Dangerfield like entered front and center in my mind when I was watching you, <laughs> trying to make sense of like what makes Larry tick. And it, and it seems like you share Larry the Cable Guy's DNA shares a lot with Rodney Dangerfield. Is that on purpose? Well, yeah, it's just a character, you know. And I, you breathe life into the character. Rodney breathes life into his character. I mean. That's what it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to talk to Rodney about it. I don't know how he did it. But I think, uh, especially with this new special, I think that I put a little bit more of me into the special because now I'm married and I have kids. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to put some of those things into the act without losing the act, without losing what I do. Uh, so I think I put a little bit more of me into the act, like the – the character itself, I mean, I'm probably not that, you know, there's some things, obviously I breathe life into the character, but the character allows me to just kind of um, uh, just uh, let the characters of beer drinking, strip bar going, I don't, you know, I don't do, I used to do that stuff. I don't do it anymore, you know. I'm married and I got kids and yeah. I'm not, I'm not 30 anymore. I'm mid-50s, you know, so. Um, I, you know, I never really know how to answer that question because it's a character, but I'm breathing life into the character. So obviously, 
um, the character does things that I don't do. The character turns the, the jokes on the me a lot of times on the character. That's what I mean. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of, uh, Larry can't get any respect either, just like Rodney couldn't. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. where, that's where Rodney came in front of mind. It was like, oh, yeah, Larry, Larry might be very successful, but he can't get any respect at home, and he has yeah. very low self-esteem about himself. And Yeah, pretty much. You know, the joke's always on the character. The joke's always on the character. I, uh, but I don't know. I, I think if you compared my act now from my first album, Two, it's almost like two completely. Like I don't do politics anymore. I got away from doing politics. Uh, I I don't do uh, jokes about uh, mentally handicapped kids, you know. And uh, and I didn't do that because I, I was forced to do it because uh, you shouldn't do that. You better stop, or we're gonna. I did it because I honestly, in my heart, felt it was wrong. I had a heart change about it. It's not because anybody told me not to do it. Um, you know, I think that if you want somebody to stop doing something, I think you would rather want them to honestly stop, to in their heart change their thoughts on it, rather than be made to do it. They still feel the same way, but they just won't let anybody know. They really haven't changed. You know what I mean? So there's certain things that I don't do now that I'm older with kids that I would like when I listen to some of my older stuff, is it funny? Absolutely. It's funny. Are there some things that I cringe at and go, Oh man, I can't believe I did that. You know, what, the, what was I thinking? You know? Uh, so I wouldn't even attempt a joke like that now. So I think, I think now there's probably a little bit, uh, more of myself that I've put into the character. I think I've given, I think I've given the character of Larry uh, a little bit more of a conscience and a little bit more of a heart, you know, before I didn't care what he did, you know, before that's that, this is that I was no, like I was completely the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was over here. Now this was an escape to just be funny and, I'm creating this uh, Southern Archie bunker and I can say, you know what I mean? Right. The character itself was never intended to be on, on stage. It was intended for radio. It's theater of the mind. And then when I started doing it on stage, it's like, wow, you know, I can sell tickets if I do this because you want to sell tickets. Mm -hmm. You want to be funny and you want to sell tickets. And this was something that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed writing like that. I knew people like I was doing, you know, my brother-in-law is like that, uh, you know, and somebody, and then somebody else would go, man, that's my cousin. You're doing my cousin, you know? So, um, so I think the older I got just kind of, I think I've thrown in a lot more niceties maybe. I don't know. Is that, is that also why, like I know you've hosted some you've hosted series on like History Channel or other other places like that but you've but you've turned down those reality competition shows. Yeah, I've turned yeah, that down. Right. Is that is that part of the reason why is because Dan wouldn't wouldn't want to do Larry doing Dancing with the Stars or the Masked Singer or something. I just didn't want to do them. I didn't yeah. like I mean, they're fun shows but I just didn't want to do it, you know. I 
History Channel. See, I a History Channel I thought was the perfect show for me because the History Channel showed me and it showed my character. I remember when John Lasseter said to me, John Lasseter said to me one time, he goes, you know why I like your History Channel show? Because I think Larry the Cable Guy is funny. He does funny things. But the cool thing about the History Channel, I get Larry the Cable Guy. I get the laughs from Larry the Cable Guy. But I also get Dan. And I like Dan, too. And when I watch the History Channel, I get to see my buddy Dan. But I also get to see the Larry that he's created, which is funny. So I think it showed two parts to me. I mean, anytime I was scared or I was serious, I was myself. And then when I was goofing off and being funny, I popped back into the character. Uh, sometimes I pop into the character I don't even mean to. It just happens. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to ask, who do your kids prefer? Do they prefer dad is Dan or dad is Larry? Well, they prefer me, obviously, because that's who they see all the time. <laughs> Uh, it is funny though, you know. When I lived in Florida, I just and I went to college in Georgia. Lived in Florida. I just, you know, I picked up the accent. You know, it wasn't hard to pick up the accent, and even to this day, uh, now when I lived in Florida, I had my accent almost all the time because all of my friends are they, they have accents. They're all country kids. They all have accents. And so that's just how I talk. I'm, I'm one of the guys, I'm one of them. You know, I, we all grew up, so that's how I talk. Just kind of like my wife's from Wisconsin, you know. But now we live in Nebraska, and she doesn't really have a – but when she goes back to Wisconsin, about four days in, a car becomes a car, uh, <laughs> a boat becomes a boat. You know what I mean? You just pick it up. I defy anybody, especially if you grew up on a farm, you grew up country to move to the South and hang out with the same crowd that you've always hung out with. And they all got Southern accents. I guarantee you, you're going to be saying some words like them <laughs> after years. So it was really funny. My buddy Brad called me on the phone a while back and Brad's real, you know, I'll pick up the phone. He'll like, Hey man, what's going on? You know, and I'll be like, Oh man, you know what? We just went down to the, I go Walmart. My wife had to run up there, and I'm talking just like Brad. And I honestly don't even realize it. It's just, you know, it's just the dialect that I picked up, and if somebody else is doing it, I do it. You know? Yeah. You know, it reminds me. This week, the comedy community has been mourning uh, the death of Vic Henley. And uh, one of the things that made Vic so great is that even though he lived in New York City for thirty. 35 years, he never lost his Alabama bona fides. No, he always had that. That's, man, you know, me, Vic, and Jeff were just group texting each other about five days ago, talking about the old times. And, and uh, you know, we had so much fun with Vic. I met Vic way back in 1986, you know, those early days of stand-up, 87. And me and Jeff and Vic, we'd go to the, Atlanta Braves spring training games all the time. And Vic was a real good buddy of ours. He was a real good friend of the blue collar comedy guys. You know, we all knew him really well. Ron, he toured with Ron here. He's yeah. been Ron's act. And of course him and Jeff were best friends forever until 
uh, you know, Ron, Vic went to New York and Jeff was doing a show and then they kind of separated it. And I've known him since those early days when Jeff and everybody knew him. So I had Kathleen Madigan and, and uh, Lewis Black, you know, we were all, all of us, we're all buddies, you know, it just kind of, it really feels like we've lost a member of our troop, you know, I mean, even though I don't hang out with Lewis and Kathleen as much and Ron or Bill, because everybody's got doing their own things now, you know, right. We still all love each other. We know each other. We've been friends forever. So this is almost like the first time we've lost uh, a comedian that was like in our clique, you know, was one of us. So yeah, it kind of, kind of blows, but hey man, that's, that's what life is. You never know. You never know when your last day is. So, so, I mean, one of the things that also makes it blow is that usually when we lose a comedian, the comedians all like to get together, but now we're stuck on group text or on Zoom instead. Can't get together yeah. and commiserate. Well, yeah, they need to, well, that's why this needs to end and we need to be Americans and be free and go out and do what we do. You know, I mean, yeah. we can't do this for every time something like this happens. This is going to happen. You know, the world we live in, you never know when somebody's going to use something like this as a real or is it going to be fake? Or I mean, all you have to do to panic, seems like now all you would have to do to panic this country now is go on social media and create something and then have people go on and send out fake tweets and scare people. I mean, how do you know if it's real or if it's not? You know? But this, I hope, I, uh, yeah, I hope it never gets to that that point. You know, I mean, they had, there was a, on Twitter the other day, there was a woman on there talking about how she's a nurse and they made her go in there and she didn't have a face mask and this guy died in front of her. And man, it had like, you know, 46,000 views. Turns out it was all BS. It was huh. some fruit loop. It was just, you know, so I mean, here's the deal. We have to be, we have to be strong. We have to be. We're Americans, you know, we can't coddle. We have to get out and we have to move the country. We have to keep the economy going. I mean, that's my, look, I'm just a guy. Obviously, I don't, I follow the law. I'm not a lawbreaker. I do what I'm, you know, I do what they suggest us do. But, you know, in uh, 1918, this country well, not only fought uh, a pandemic, they also fought World War One. There was nobody bitching about it. They went out and they knew that we were Americans and we had to move the country along and we had to work and we had to. And by gosh, not only did they come through it, they came through in a stronger country. And uh, just, I, I, I don't know, just kind of, you know, like I said, I'm just a guy. But, man, I'll yeah. tell you, we got to, people don't realize if this goes any longer, they don't realize what it's going to do. And I hear some of these people go, well, this could leave. You can't leave your house for 18 months. This could be 18 months. Well, then we're done as a country. We are done. And you'll forget stand-up comedy. There won't be any comedy clubs. I mean, come on. You know, buck up. Be, a, be an American. You know, people went to World War II and fought and died. You think they wanted to go to World War II and die and get shot at? No, they did it so America could have freedom. So we could have freedom to be, not be taken over by Hitler and the Nazis. So they went over there and kicked their ass, and, and so we could be free to shop and move around. You know, if they're willing to do that, I think I'm willing to, you know, go go shop at a store and, and uh, you know, take my chances. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I think the reason that they were able to do all that stuff is because they didn't have Twitter. Yeah, is, but is Twitter, <laughs> is social media good or is it bad? Can it be, it can be used for good. It can be used for bad. I like yeah. social media. I use it for good. A lot of people don't use it for good. A lot of people use it for BS and, but I use it for good. You know, I use it. I like it because I can communicate with my fans. and I love my fans. You know, I block anybody that's not having fun with it. I block all those people. So um, I, uh, I use my social media for good. I wish other people don't. But there's a lot of angry people out there that can uh, yell at other people and be faceless and say whatever they want. Yeah. and be cowards and so that's what they want to be that's not going to happen on my stuff all those people get blocked <laughs> and we just have a have a good time so well yeah i thank you for doing this and you know social media and technology is making this possible so i i oh, that's what i say i love it it can be used for good this is good this is a good thing you know and i think I think you'll be out of there in a, in a couple of weeks. I really do. I think they're going to uh, start uh, loosening up some restrictions. I hope so. I hope so, Dan. What? Yeah. Um, before I let you go, you know, uh, I was just wondering, like, what do you what do you hope your legacy is as as a comedian? Like, when comedians are on the group text talking about you when you go, what do you what do you hope that they the stories they tell and the things they say about you on on social media and elsewhere? What do I hope they say? Yeah. Oh, look, I don't even worry about it. Social media, usually nobody says anything good about anybody. So i got more important things to do than worry about somebody on social media says about. Oh, I mean like comedians, other comedians. Other com- Well, look, the comedians that I came up with and that I know and I love and the guys that I came up with, like uh, Lewis and Colin Quinn and, and uh, you know, all those guys, uh, Nick DiPaolo and, and, you know, all the Chris Rock and all those guys that were in my generation, you know, I mean, we're all, we're all friends. So they're really the only ones that I care about what they think about me. And we're all buddies. I mean, we all get, we all, we all, we're all uh, fans of the process and comedy. We like all different kinds of comedy and I've never, you know, there's, so I, as far as the, any, any, what anybody else says, I really don't. I don't care. I mean, I, I really don't, you know, <laughs> I've traveled with the same guys forever, Jeff, Bill, and Ron. And I mean, as long as I get along with them, I'm fine. But you know, you want to be liked. Obviously everybody wants to be liked, but I've been this business long enough to grow some thick skin. And after a while, you go, well, who cares what anybody thinks? You know what I mean? I got a nice wife and I got a great family and I got, and I got people I love and, and, in the, in the end, what is it? Who cares? You know, I mean, look at the Vic, Vic Henley. God bless him. I, I loved him to death. If anybody ever said anything bad about him, I mean, you know, but now he's passed away. And what good did it do? You know what I mean? To say anything bad about it. I mean, people are just, you know, I don't even, I don't even mess with it. I don't even care. I ain't got time for it. I got kids. I got time for none of that. What do people think about your stuff? Well, Dan, I, I appreciate you talking to me, and I, I look forward to the next the next big comedy festival when we can all get together and uh, and commiserate and, and have some fun again. Thank you.
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.